Welcome to another episode of Chan with the Plan, the podcast, the podcast providing career advice and easy actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you can stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. And I'm your host, Max Chan. If you are a professional that's looking for the next opportunity or looking to grow their career and get to the next step, then join my private Facebook group, Career Advice with Chan with a Plan, where I post daily content on two main topics, the job search and career advice. I will leave a link in the show notes, or you can go on Facebook and search up my group name to send in a request to join Career Advice with Chan with a Plan. The main point of my podcast is to educate my listeners in order to help them take the next step in their career. But in order to do so successfully, not only do you need a proper strategy and plan, you also have to have your mind right, which is why it's so important to take care of your mental health. COVID has really played a huge factor in people's mental health. Sure, it's great to be able to work from home and avoid the commute, but due to COVID and multiple lockdowns, depending on where you currently reside, it increases isolation, leading to loneliness, which ends up leading to depression. So to discuss this topic on loneliness and combating loneliness in your professional life, I have invited Sarah Langner to help me discuss this topic and provide strategies to boost your social support and improve your mental health. So a little bit about Sarah before we get started. She was diagnosed with autism and ADHD at age 40. Sarah knows that even if you are predisposed to disconnection and seeing the negative, it is possible to change. Though she's not likely to change her love for Disney World anytime soon, she continuously works to improve herself so that she can better support her clients. Sarah spent her entire life figuring out why she was on the outside and then what to do so that she felt included. This led to the creation of Hey Lemonade, a transformative online community and coaching platform that actively works to create belonging, foster connection, and inspire members to live more connected, compassionate, and joyful lives. Now let's get into my discussion with Sarah on how to combat loneliness in your professional career in order to improve your mental health and lead a happier life. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much, Max. I'm so excited to be here with you. So my podcast deals with career challenges. And right now, a lot of my topics focus on career growth, uh, job searching, and just being a better professional in general. But I don't really touch on the social interaction, emotional side of things. And the big topic right now is obviously workplace and COVID. So the COVID pandemic happened at the beginning of or the middle of March of 2020. And some people actually enjoyed the remote working because some of these professionals might have long commutes. So the fact that they're able to work from home uh, five days a week gave them a lot of their time back from the constant commuting, whether it was taking public transit or driving through rush hour. But however, uh, over time, they started to feel more isolated and more lonely compared to being at work. And one of the biggest uh, issues with the pandemic is people's mental health, because when you feel socially isolated and alone, it actually affects your mental health more than the possibility of getting COVID. So what's your thoughts on everything going on right now in terms of combating loneliness during the pandemic for career professionals? Well, I think there's more than just COVID at work here. We are also on the cusp of a major political and social shift where people are at odds left versus right, racial division, all of these things were building just before COVID hit. COVID hit, and then we're no longer actually having these face-to-face conversations with people. So if I'm questioning, say, racial stuff, and I'd normally have an opportunity to talk to you at work, I don't have that opportunity anymore because I'm just at home alone with my screen and Twitter. And let's face it, Twitter isn't the best place to talk about these things. So we're not only feeling alone at home because we aren't with other people, but we're also dealing with extraordinarily heavy topics. 
And online social media is not a good place typically for these types of conversations. Yeah, I, I actually understand that because people thought like, oh, there's Zoom and you still see the person, but it's not the same as talking to people in person. And when you're talking to somebody in person, you have the opportunity to say, oh, and by the way, this thing came up and I was really wondering if I could talk to you with it. Zoom is great, but you're sitting here chatting, um, typing to chat, and you're not really engaged with the conversation in whatever meeting you're in, or you're missing the chat, and you're having to multitask at an, a level that people really aren't designed to be able to multitask at. And when we're talking about work and a heavy topic, that's too much for most people to be able to cope with. What's worse, a long commute or feeling socially isolated? Well, I guess that totally depends on how you feel about your commute. When I used to work outside of the home, I would actually I'd take the bus and I'd use that time to listen to a book or even take a nap because it was a really long bus ride. And I really enjoyed that time to completely unwind before I got back in the door. So I loved it. My husband, on the other hand, he hates his commute. So working from home was a great thing for him. But at work, he had that opportunity to have a lot of social interactions. And even though he didn't have that long commute that he dreaded anymore, he's really, really missed those social interactions that just aren't the same. So for him, I'd definitely say that the commute was the lesser of two evils. So I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's this great resignation happening where a lot of people are leaving oh, yeah. their current jobs. Yeah. So what's going on now is that obviously one of the reasons why a lot of people are leaving their jobs right now is that they've done a lot of self-reflection during COVID and they realize that what they're doing right now is not where they want to be in the next few years. The other aspect of it is that they don't feel that social attachment to their work as they used to, because when you were working in the office, you were socializing with various teams and various people. But now if you're at home, you're just doing your work and then doing whatever after. So there's that lack of attachment with the company. So people feel less loyal to the company that they're working for. What's your thoughts on that? Well, a big part of it is, like you said, it's not having that one-on-one -on -one connection with other people. It's not having that greater connection with the company, but it's also the company's not communicating effectively what their goal is to their employees. So we have people who they're going to work and they're pushing the button or they're doing the same thing over and over again, but they don't really have that deeper connection to why. Why does this matter? And why should it matter to me? When we go to work and we have this opportunity to talk to people, you might not understand what your boss had said in the memo they sent out, but you have an opportunity to talk to them. And when we have the words and the facial expressions, our hand gestures to go with it, then we can connect at a much deeper level and understand why this matters, not just to the company, but to me. I think that's a good point because a lot of people feel disengaged with their work because they don't see a purpose with it. They think they're a cog in the wheel. But if employers are more transparent with how each person contributes to the company, they feel, they'll feel more of that alignment with the company's goals and they will want to do more for the company, right? Oh, exactly. And on top of that, when we're at work, we have a little bit of a choice on how we go about our day. So I might do this, but then I also stop and I talk to you about this project that's coming up. And then I also go and I do this other thing. And I also have an opportunity to explore my own ideas and where this could lead for myself and the company. But when we're at home, we tend to be a lot more focused just on doing the tasks that are in front of us. And we don't necessarily branch out to follow our own passions within the scope of the work we're doing. We're actually putting in more hours of work at home than we ever did while we were at work. But it's not leading us to the places that really inspire us to continue what we're doing. That's such a good point. Studies have shown that people have been more productive at home with their work. But that also goes back to the mental health, right? They're being overworked. They're not balancing proper home and work life because if 
you're doing your leisure and your work in the same place. There's no separation. So you do tend to feel that overwhelm, right? Oh, exactly. And on top of that, there's also this fear that if I'm not proving that my contribution is worthy enough, that my job is actually going to be on the line because it, I've now shown that it, I don't have to be in the office. So this can be outsourced to somebody else who can do it cheaper than I'm doing it. So you want to prove that you're worthy enough to keep doing this job. It's a pretty scary place to be. That's actually a good point because if they don't need you in the office, they could outsource it to anybody. Uh, they could outsource it to countries such as India, where, where there's a lot of outsourcing going on and you can get the work done for a lot cheaper. So they do have that fear for sure. Exactly. It's a hard place to be when we've got all of these things interacting together. We're afraid of losing our job if we don't put in more hours. We're not having the opportunity to choose for ourselves how we're going about our work. We're not having that interpersonal connection where we can talk about things that are tangential to work and connect with the people that we're working with and working for and we aren't connecting to the company. So going back to what you said about the, the visibility at work, where if you're always at home doing the work and you don't need to be in the office, that's obviously one issue and fear is that if you can do it all at home, then we don't really need you in the office. We can hire someone else that can do it somewhere else, right? That lives somewhere else. But how about from the uh, promotional side, right? So the advantage of having to go to the office is to be able to build relationships with executives uh, to get that promotion down the road. But if you're always working at home, then that's going to be harder to get that visibility, right? I think it really depends on how a company is structured. There are some companies that are really exceptional where their leadership is actively reaching out to the people below them in their teams. Those companies, I think, are more likely to fare well as we weather the rest of whatever the heck COVID gives us. But those companies whose leadership isn't reaching out and isn't finding out where their team is at, where the leadership doesn't know what everybody else is dealing with, those companies are, well, the people working there, they're not going to have that same opportunity for promotion, but those people are also the ones most likely to leave. Based off this discussion so far, what's your prediction in terms of proper uh, work a balanced structure. So from what I can tell, professionals definitely do not want to go to the office five days a week, but they also, most don't want to work completely remote either because they lack that social connection with the company and their coworkers. So where do you think the right work model would be? Is it hybrid or do you think it's something else that people haven't really looked into? I think hybrid is an exceptional way to go. People need connection, not just the face-to-face -face we get where like the two-dimensional Zoom meetings, but we need to be able to reach out, pat somebody on the back, shake hands, and even give each other hugs. I was a registered nurse, so there were times when work was extraordinarily stressful and being able to have a hug from a coworker was vital to being able to do my job. When I worked in an office, there were also times like somebody's having a party uh, for some reason, you give them a hug. This is what it means to be human. And if we don't have that, I really think those companies are going to struggle. And I fear that it will hurt our entire world if we don't have a hybrid at the very least. For sure. And, and speaking of attending parties at work and socializing with colleagues. So there's this debate going on in terms of, can you truly make real friends at work? And I'm going to be the devil's advocate and say that it's good to get acquaintances and be friendly with coworkers, but it might be hard to make friends because if you're all vying for the same positions or promotions, it might be harder to actually have those authentic relationships. So what's your take on that part of the equation? Well, I think you touched on a big part of that right there, Max. And that's why aren't people making friends? Because it isn't whether you can or can't. It isn't whether you should or shouldn't. It's why don't you? So you feel there's this competition. If we make friends, then I won't feel confident enough going after this position because I don't want to hurt this person. 
so I don't become friends. There's also, I don't feel qualified enough to make friends with these other people who have been there longer. I need to wait until I'm qualified. And so we hold ourselves back. I think that the best way forward to get more promotions is to make friends, not only friends with the people who are at the same level as you, but friends with the people who are below you and the people above you. You want to be able to show those above you that you will lift those below you to help them succeed, show that you're a leader. You also want to become friends with the people above you because you have this opportunity to show them who you are and that you're willing to keep pushing and keep moving. So some professionals at the workplace might take advantage of your friendliness in terms of showing your cards. But are you saying like, don't worry about that? Just always give and eventually the ones that are willing to help you will get attracted to you? There's um, TBF, tough but fair. And so always be kind, always be respectful, be friendly. But always know who you are, what your values are, and where your boundaries are. Not barriers, this is the hard line you cannot cross, but this is what I stand for. And we're going to have a dialogue about this because this behavior isn't okay. Being friends means the other person isn't going to step through those boundaries, or if they accidentally do, they will back off. And part of that is having these conversations. If they're not your friend, then that's no point in you continuing to nurture this and keep giving because that's not kind to yourself. So are you saying give the person the benefit of the doubt in terms of like the first impressions? And then once you get to know the person, you can see whether you truly can be friends with this person or it'll just be work acquaintances and that be that. Exactly. Give the person benefit of the doubt. There are certain types of questions that really help a person get to know somebody else better. The most basic is just what about that is important to you. In any situation that comes up, you can use this to get to know the person better, find out what their values are, and why they view things a certain way. It gives you an idea. Are they just trying to stab somebody in the back? Or do you misconstrue the way their actions appear to be? So here's a scenario. So let's say you and a friend are vying for the same promotion position and you get it, but they don't and they're angry about it. Is the friendship over? Because now it's a different dynamic as well, because they're your direct report to them, right? I, I think that's, that's how you say it. Uh, so like it has yeah. the boundaries are different now, or is there a way to still have a good friendship after that? It's totally possible to still have a good friendship. Part of it is you're not responsible for the other person's anger. They can be angry and you can say, hey, I get it. I totally understand. I would feel the same way, assuming you would feel the same way. And acknowledge that because it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be hurt. All of these types of things. When we dismiss the other person's feelings, then they're more likely to become even more hurt. But there is a dynamic shift. There is a power shift with this. And part of that is recognizing how our actions can be perceived. If you used to joke about your income and you've just gotten a raise, it's not okay to continue having that same type of joke with the person because you're on two totally different levels now and it would be considered mean. Yeah, I get what you're saying because let's say we're two specialists and we're making fun of the director, but if I'm a manager now, I report to the director, we can't make the same jokes because again, the dynamics change and I have more on the line at this point. Exactly. So either you're in a position where it's a negative experience for yourself or it's a negative experience for your friend. So continue to find ways to make it a positive experience for both of you. In what ways do you still have these similarities? And when you disagree about something or you're coming from two different angles because of your position in the company, that's when you talk about, tell me more about this. What about it is important to you? And truly listen to where they're at because now you're in a position to give them a voice amplification that they didn't have before. I think it really boils down to communication from what you're saying, because if I get promoted, it's best to have a conversation with your friend that didn't get the promotion right away and just to establish boundaries and to show that you're still there for each other. 
And that's exactly it, making sure the communication is open and respectful. When we put down somebody else, they don't want to become friends with us. They don't want to maintain that friendship with us anymore. So just be kind, and that's the best you can do at any point in time. So there's two ways someone leaves the company. One is they quit, and there'll be like two weeks notice, and they'll sign a card or have lunch together, and then they say, oh, we'll keep in touch. And then the other, the harsher way is they get laid off. And the common trend when it comes to people getting laid off is that the person who gets laid off loses complete contact with the people at the workplace, mostly because of the awkwardness. They don't want to reach out to them because they don't know if they're angry. Um, and the person that got laid off doesn't want to reach out to them that are still working because of some other awkwardness. Maybe they're, maybe there's a rule in place that you're not supposed to talk to people that got uh, laid off or fired at the company. So what's your thoughts and advice on that, on that situation? I think if a company has a policy that you're not allowed to talk to people who have been laid off, I think it's a bad policy. But other than that, in the event a person has been laid off, the people who still remain in the company may feel awkward. But going there and accepting that awkwardness and still reaching out, that shows a lot of strength. That shows a lot of character and it shows that you care. It doesn't necessarily mean the other person will accept your offering a friendship. It doesn't mean they'll be willing to still maintain it. But being the person who's still in the company, you're the one who has the most ability to move past that awkwardness because you don't also have that potential shame that goes with being fired. I get it. So the chances of the person that got laid off or fired reaching out is a lot lower than someone who's actually working at still working at the company reach out to them so you're saying for the people that are still working at coming to go first and then possibly build that relationship back yes and if you feel awkward about it just say so say look i don't know what to say i want to maintain our friendship but i'm i feel awkward and i'm worried about how you're going to respond because ultimately, that's the way we feel. We're afraid that they're going to hate us because we weren't fired. But again, it, it all goes back to the communication. You're assuming different things. But if you just reach out, sure, they might ignore you. But you, you don't know unless you try, right? And that's exactly it. That's the way a lot of miscommunications and broken friendships or broken any type of relationship happens. There's an awkward, uh, difficult, or ambiguous situation and we make our assumptions and then don't actually reach out. We just hold on to them and keep them to ourselves and let that friendship go. Okay, and on the other side, let's say someone has resigned and they are looking to work in their next opportunity. They have their goodbye lunch and the card and all that. Uh, and then the thing is like, they'll stay, oh, we'll stay in touch. Uh, they might add each other on LinkedIn. But then over time as... Uh, things progress, they'll slowly start to lose contact. So why is this and how do you try to keep the engagement with these connections going? So why this happens is because we only have so much bandwidth in our brains. We can really only maintain about five close relationships and say about 125 secondary relationships. So the more friendships we have, the more regular acquaintances we have, the harder it gets to keep track of everyone. And the more work required in order to reach out to this person means that requires more bandwidth and we're more likely to start letting that one slide. So if you want to maintain it, it depends on what other connections you have with this person was it all related to the work you were doing or did you have values that were similar do you have similar life experiences similar family similar religion or other types of practices that also tie you together the more ties the more likely you're going to put in the effort to maintain that relationship it's about finding common ground so if, if the only common thing is that you used to work together and there's nothing else like you, you don't have you have varying hobbies you like different sports teams it's going to be difficult to maintain that relationship if the main thing that you have in common in the first place is work exactly so what's your recommendation in terms of like keeping in touch uh with these uh, people should you like message them once a month or like send a card once a year because like again like you said we can really only have 
five uh, true friends because of the bandwidth level, but how do you still maintain that network? Because it's not just about building a strong network for your career and your life. It's more about maintaining it as well, right? So, so what's some advice on that? So a big part of it depends on why you want to maintain the relationship. Is it just for networking? Is it so that you have a future opportunity because this person could possibly pull you up or introduce you to somebody? Is it because of those shared values, those shared connections? Depending on what the reasoning is determines how often you should really reach out to the person and in what ways you should reach out. If it is purely business, then once a quarter, reach out, check in with the person, share something that you have, the uh, connection in some way with them, so that you're also it's a mutual relationship. You don't want it to be one-sided because they won't maintain that if it is just them giving to you. It's always about when it comes to building relationships, what can you give in terms of value first? And then whatever they give back is a bonus. It basically does come down to that. I would like to, I would like to think that it is a give and take. I'm happy to give and as much as I need to, as much as you want, as long as I'm also receiving but for most people, it really is, what can they give me? So you have to be aware of that if you want to receive something from the other person. Yeah, and I'm a career coach and I always teach clients or professionals that if you want to really get that job at a big company that's very competitive, you have to network. But the thing is, a lot of people are networking with the mindset is like if they talk to so-and-so people, I'll get the job, right? But that's all take and no give like you want to create relationships and have authentic conversations so they feel that there's value in you two talking so they will want to help you further exactly if you're only going there to take 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 everybody's going to see that they're going to know why you're here and they're going to make a note of that so even if you're lucky and you get that job anyhow all of these other people that you've already been taking from they are keeping score, even if it's only subconsciously. That's a good point. And going back to the friends and acquaintances, so what's the definition between it? Like, what's the difference between a friend and an acquaintance? An acquaintance is somebody that you know, you see them regularly, you might not necessarily know very much about them, and you don't necessarily want to see them. Not saying you don't want to see them, but you're not going to actively seek them out. A friend, you start to get to know them better. You might know their mother's name. You might know their dog's name, depending on the level of relationship. But you seek them out. There's a reason you want to spend time with them. So in terms of the dynamic, so let's say it's not the situation where it's two friends trying to go for the same promotion. Let's say I'm a specialist and I have a manager or the other way around. Can we be friends when it's different uh, power levels or do you think it'd be awkward and people might think you're a brown noser? I mean, some people may think you're a brown noser and you might be. It depends on what you're doing. Are you having an actual relationship with this person, a friendship that is a give and take where you actually talk about where you have differing points of views or are you only agreeing with them no matter what, even when you actually disagree. If you're brown nosing, then everybody has a right to call you out on it. But it's possible to have a relationship with the person who is higher up the ladder than you are. It comes down to communication. It comes down to those boundaries. Are you using that person to try to get that leg up? Are they going to tell you, I won't do this? Or are they going to let you use that their position to help you? It depends. Again, like you said, it always goes back down to communication. The, the biggest thing when it comes to workplace conflict is the lack of communication, right? That's basically it. Lack of communication. And a big part of it is also the connection. Because if you're more connected to a person and they say something that comes across as really off, you're more likely to come back and say, you know what? This is the way I perceived this. Can you tell me more? If you don't have that connection and somebody says something that's off, they're just going to dismiss you and say, look, that person is 
whatever negative thing in your company. Great. And I want to switch gears in terms of the discussion of loneliness. So as many may be aware, usually the time that you have the biggest network is either in high school or university, because when you're in university, depending on what school you go to, you're surrounded by thousands of people the same age as you. So you do have a lot of common ground. But what happens is once you graduate and get your first corporate job, over time, your friendships from university start to diminish. And then it gets to the point where the most of the time is spent on work and family. So I know you touched upon this in terms of bandwidth and also proximity, but what other issues are going on in terms of the disintegration of social networks as you get older and you start building your career? Now, there's a few different elements at work here. One of it is, like you said, there's just uh, fewer people around you when you come into an office that possibly only has four or five people in this specific area. And so these are the people you're around every day, day in, day out. You come home at the end of the day. You might still go out, but often it's with people you already know, not going out to meet new people. When you were in university, every single day you were meeting somebody new and you were also more open to exploring who you are as a person. As you get into the workplace, you are already starting to define your sense of self in more concrete terms. So you're not going out and trying 10 different hobbies over the course of a year, you're sticking to one. And that just decreases the number of people you're going to meet on top of already only seeing a few people throughout the day and being more tired because you now suddenly have to get up every day and you can't sleep through morning class. Yeah, it goes back to the lack of time, right? Because if you work a nine to five, then add the commuting on top of that. Then if you have a girlfriend, boyfriend or kids, then you're spending your after hours on that. So you don't really have that much time for a social life. So how can one combat this in terms of trying to build up a network uh, or build up a social circle once you are a mid-career professional? So typically a mid-career professional is already starting their family or has a family. So like you said, there is that um, time pull in a bunch of different directions. And coming back to communication, you really have to communicate with your partner. You need to understand where your own relationship is, what the balance is going to be within your home. That way you have time for yourself and your social circle because they're vital to not only having a healthy mental health and healthy personal balance, but even healthy for your own relationship. If you don't have these external relationships meeting your other needs, you're placing all of your needs onto your one partner or two or three partners for some people, I suppose. And then that's putting undue pressure and you're not able to actually continue meeting all of everybody's needs this way. So it's vital that you make the time to spend time with friends, meet new people and having that open communication with your partner so that you have the opportunity to do that is vital. So is it really about the lack of time or the lack of effort? Because everybody says they want to, make new friends or meet new people. But I see a lot of people are not really taking the action to meet new people. Is it the lack of strategy or is it really the lack of time? It's multifaceted. There is lack of strategy. People just aren't going out and taking the steps to do these things. There's also a lot of fear. I talk to everybody I meet. So I'm at the playground with my kids. I start talking to other people. I'm at the grocery store. I'm the person who will stop and talk to you over the bananas. I'm sorry. But what people tell me over and over again is they're afraid because social media shows us that Our world is very volatile and you are a bad person because of your belief in this, that, or something else. So they take this social media belief and they bring it into our in-person lives and then they're afraid to talk to new people. So it just kind of keeps building and the less you talk to people, the more afraid you get. 
So our brains decide before we ever go someplace that I'm already not going to have fun. I'm already not going to like these people. I'm already not going to fit in. So we just don't try. And that is a domino effect because one of the saddest things is like if you go to like senior homes, right? They don't get many visitors. They might have like a few family, but there's no friends visiting them, right? And then Loneliness is a big issue, especially for older people. So what do you think happened during the younger days where it got to that point? Now, so a lot of the seniors are actually very lucky and homes are getting better at creating social situations, social events to really combat loneliness. The problem that comes up before that, and this is with people who are honestly age 16 all the way through, we're looking at 40 to 60% of the population feels chronically lonely, depending on the age group. And what's happening is we have gotten into a place where everybody is very divided, and we only identify with one small aspect of ourselves. And therefore, we only allow people who also identify with this small aspect to become our friends. So we're limiting ourselves, and through that limitation, we're creating more and more barriers between different types of people and different ideas, and our world's getting smaller and smaller as we keep moving forward. That's actually a good point. It goes back to the example when you're in university, you're trying to find yourself, so you'll try different clubs, different things to meet different people, to find your tribe. But as you get older, your world gets smaller and smaller to the point where unless you 100% agree on things, as an example, you're not going to be friends with them. And then that's where the isolation happens as you get older, right? Oh, and that's exactly it. We've gotten to a place where we, I, I keep coming back to social media, because a lot of this fear comes from the negative side of social media, where we the algorithms keep showing us the things that make us angry, the people who make us angry. And so we attribute all of our negative feelings towards anybody who disagrees with us. And then we just take that feeling and we carry it over into the physical world where we say, oh, they're disagreeing with me, therefore they're the bad people. And even if you're meeting 100 people a day, you are categorizing them into good or bad, black or white versus grayscale. And so we're less open to new people, new ideas. And we just keep getting that world smaller and smaller, the more ingrained the idea becomes within us. But human growth is about new ideas because new idea breeds innovation because if everybody thinks the same way, there won't be any innovation in the world, right? Bingo. And that's why connection matters. And that building bridges between different types of people and pushing ourselves into that zone where we are uncomfortable and questioning in what way we might be wrong so that we can see that huge, beautiful rainbow of colors and be more open to what's possible, not just for ourselves, but the whole world. Yeah. And studies have shown that the most successful teams out there in the workplace are diverse teams, not teams that all think and look alike, right? Exactly. So as a country, when we have uh, left and right politics, the best uh, governments are the ones that pull in from both sides. The ones that are most successful allow a little bit of overlap and they say, I disagree with this, let's talk about it. And then they build on those ideas. It's exactly the same in the workforce. Okay, let's blend it together, see where the overlap is and focus on where we agree. That way we can really take whatever we've got and make it a million times better. What are some long-term effects of loneliness uh, over time, whether it's mental or physical health? Well, I mean, the biggest one is you die earlier. Just plain and simple, you will die earlier if you are chronically lonely. Now, everybody goes through periods of transient loneliness, and that is normal, and that's okay. It's when it lasts for several years that you're looking at this being a problem. You see increased heart rate, um, decreased heart rate variability, which means you're less 
able to cope with stress, increased blood pressure, increased um, cortisol levels. So that means like your, your body just isn't responding as well to the stressors in the world. And you're more likely to burn out, you're more likely to have overwhelmed, you're more likely to feel angry and on edge. And it's just not a good thing. So what's a good dose of healthy interaction on a weekly basis? And that really depends on each person. For me, I need to talk to people. So if I haven't talked to people enough, I am going to stop the person I see walking their dog and we're going to talk. But my husband, he is the biggest introvert. So when I stop to talk to somebody, he's going to go and walk somewhere else and have our dog do tricks by himself because he needs a lot less than I do. Uh, it's really about knowing who you are, what you need, but paying attention that a lot of times, if you haven't been interacting with people, it's not that you don't need to have that interaction. It's that it's uncomfortable and it's a good idea to push yourself to that next, next place. So if you're only at, say, an hour of social interaction this week, push yourself to an hour and 20 minutes and see how that goes. And then say like, hey, good job. I am so proud of myself for doing this and celebrate those 20 minutes. It always goes back to if you don't use it, you lose it, right? So if you want to get better at being comfortable interacting with various types of people, you actually have to go do it. And that's exactly it. Like, so I like to have conversations about race. I know I'm very weird. I started doing this because I was afraid to have these conversations. So I'd just start going and I'd start talking to people and I'd start asking questions and finding out where they were at. And because I started practicing it, these conversations that generally lead to people running away screaming have actually been extremely positive. So even if it's something that seems big and scary, if you start practicing and start very small, start having a few successes doing it, it gets easier and then it actually starts to become enjoyable and you look forward to it. Great. So let's have a fun question or a fun scenario. So let's say you are a career professional. I'll say between mid-20s to mid-30s, you move to a new city uh, for this job and you don't know a single person. What would you do to start building that social network? The great thing about moving for a new job is you automatically have people at the company that you can start getting to know. Start talking to them, find out who they are. Do they have families? What are they interested in? Ask them what's the best place to go to unwind in the city. It gets you to a point where you can get to know the people you work with. It also gives you ideas for what's in the city. I'm new here. What's the one thing I have to see or do? And if you know what your hobbies are, go look up anything related to those hobbies. Start attending events, things like that. If you're religious, go to a church. If you're not religious, go to a community event where most cities have community events all over the city with a wide variety of people. There's always something. Start just next weekend, find one event to go to where you can meet somebody. What are some good conversation starters when you're meeting new people? A great one is where are you from? Because most people nowadays are living in a city different from where they've come from. Where are you from? Oh, great. What did you love most about living there? And just get them talking about themselves. People love to talk about themselves. So ask them questions. And most of the time after you ask one or two questions, they'll get going and then the conversation just flows. So I I got a good discussion on this. So the where you're from. So I'm Chinese, right? So I live in Canada. So (laughs) when people ask me where I'm from, if I say like my city, they say, no, no, I mean, like, where are you like born? Right. So do you think that it goes back to the race topic? Do you think that's a bit insensitive depending on who you ask? Or if you say, if you ask it in an appropriate way, it doesn't matter. Well, I think it depends. So you have a little bit of an accent. It is subtle, but it is there. So I think it would be appropriate if somebody asked you, no, no, where were you from before that? Because you do have an accent. So you obviously, most likely, didn't come from where you're living now. And I think a lot of people, like they've heard that it's insensitive to ask these questions, 
but they're not asking necessarily because of the color of your skin. Maybe you dress very different than the people around you. That type of thing does stand out. I've lived in various places across the US and Canada, so anytime I hear an accent, I'm like, where are you from? And most of the time, these people have brilliant stories to share with me. So it just, it does come down to, is there a reason why? And maybe you can ask them that. So why are you asking me? Because most of the time, they're probably not asking because of the color of your skin. But you don't know that unless you ask. So in terms of the receiver of the question, it like you should have an open mind. You shouldn't be offended right away, right? Just because, like for example, if I'm if I was born in Toronto, as an example, and they ask me where I'm from, I'm from Toronto, and they say, no, no, I mean like where are you from, where are you born? Like they're they're asking from a curiosity perspective. They're not really asking to defend. It depends on how they're asking, it, right? Well, it does, and depending on where they're from, it could be okay to word things the way they're wording it, but depending on where you're from the way you hear it, it isn't okay. So just always assume positive intent. That's a different question. Can I ask you why you're asking it? And just get them talking. It goes back to what you said about like, when you get older, when someone doesn't agree with your point of view, you automatically shut them down without being open-minded to why they're asking, which goes back to what sometimes it's hard to make friendships because you're very close-minded in terms of specific person you're looking for. So you're not open to other diverse people. So in this example here with this question, by you uh, shutting down and being offended, you're actually closing potential opportunities when they're not trying to offend you with that question. Exactly. And what happens if that person just happens to be your brand new boss that you haven't met yet? That, that's what I always say, like never burn bridges. Even if you didn't get that well along with your boss, they might down the road mature and you might actually gel well if you do meet down the road, right? Well, and that's exactly it. There's a instructor I had in university and oh my goodness, I could not stand that woman. But we've both grown so much in the many, many years since I was in university and we get along great now. So it would have been really in poor taste, uh, poor benefit for myself had I burned that bridge back then. So to summarize the conversation in terms of building a social circle, it's about, again, communication and just being open-minded to different types of people. They might not necessarily agree with everything you believe in, but you do want that diverse mix because if everybody thought like you, it'd be a boring place. Well, exactly. I mean, I love the friends that agree with me, but almost always we get into these conversations that lead down a road where they're like, you know what, Sarah, I'm not so sure about that. And I'm like, well, have you ever thought about it like this? And I love that while we're having these conversations, each one of us can say, wow, I've never thought of it like that before. Thank you for opening my mind. I still don't agree with you, but now I've got something to look into. That's where we really light up and feel connected with people. These are the people who challenge us and pull us to become better us. You can't create interesting discussions if all they're saying is, I agree, I agree, I agree, right? I agree. There you go. Like, when that, someone agrees, there's nothing else to talk about, right? So then you have to keep on throwing ideas to the wall. But if they actually have a different opinion, then you can actually move forward and make the conversation more interesting. Yeah, so one of the things I love to talk about is flow. And I talk about this especially in relationships. When we get into flow, that's when you're going, yes, and, and you just keep going and you're talking faster and you're just bouncing off of each other. The thing is, is that flow works best when we get a bit of feedback from the other person. So saying yes, and is great, but just I agree is never good enough. It needs to be, okay, yeah, this is a good idea, but it could be even better if. There's some semblance of disagreement without being antagonistic. And when that happens, that's when we really, we connect with the person. We're like, you are my new best friend and you want to see that person more. And the connection just builds in such a way that you feel it intrinsically in who you are because your sense of self has also developed along with that relationship. And that's some good advice. 
And again, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me today about like loneliness and social interaction. I want to end this podcast with one question for you. So again, as I said earlier at the beginning of the podcast, my podcast is about helping professionals overcome career challenges and obstacles to help them get to where they need to go. So what has been one career challenge or obstacle that you've had to face uh, in your career so far? And what were the steps that you took in order to overcome it to get to where you are as a person today? Oh, there's been so many obstacles, but the most recent one is as I was launching my coaching business about four years ago, things just weren't working. There was a lot of struggle there. I didn't understand why. And so what I needed to do is I needed to figure out what I didn't know. And then I needed to make that a priority, finding out what that was, doing the work, doing the research and putting the most effort into developing myself versus the business itself. Great. And how can people connect with you online to learn more about your work, uh, what you do and how you can help them? I've recently launched a new social media platform that's also a directory of coaches. That's heylemonade.co. I'm also on most of the major social networking sites. Hey Lemonade is where you'll find me. So why lemonade? Why not like orange juice or another juice? Well, like taking lemons and transforming it into lemonade. I like to take possibilities and transform it into reality. And I can do that best with other people. That's a good way to look at it. When someone gives you lemons, you make lemonade, right? Thank you. Yeah. Plus, it's cheerful. And I like cheerful and fun and just being a bit of silly and playful in life. Because I think we take life too seriously. And that's when we make those hard and fast rules. No, we can't do this. Well, why not? Why can't we? Yeah, I think it goes back to a lot of people create these mental blocks to not do something when they really shouldn't. Like, why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? Like, it's not that hard. It's either you want to really do it or you don't, right? Exactly. And that's that's just the way it is. We've got to be willing to step outside that comfort zone and have fun. And as the saying goes, there's no growth in the comfort zone. Oh, big time. Exactly. And thank you so much, Max, for having me on your show. I have really, really enjoyed being here with you. Thank you again to Sarah for coming on my podcast and sharing some strategies to help you get the social support you need to overcome loneliness in your professional life, to improve your mental health, and lead a happier, fulfilling life overall. If you want to listen to my own personal insights on this topic, make sure to check out ChanCap this coming Friday, available on all popular podcast platforms. So make sure you subscribe to your podcast listening platform of choice so you don't miss out. Again, if you are a professional that is looking to get to the next step of your career, make sure to join my private Facebook group, Career Advice with Chan with a Plan, where I post helpful tips on the job search and provide career advice to help you get to the next level. I will leave a link in the show notes, or you can search up my Facebook group name on Facebook and send a request to join. Again, this is Chan with The Plan, the podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan, and I thank you for listening. Thank you.